We're going to be talking about women being great today. Does that sound good to you? <laughs> Men, this doesn't mean that you can't be great. We know you are already great. We see you also. We see the strength and the might in you. We see the Spirit of God rising up inside of you. And we want to walk with you and make sure that men and women together are making this nation great by the Spirit of God. Amen. Um, this may come as a little bit of a surprise. To, oh, I'm going to pray first. My husband always has to remind me from the front seat that we need to pray. That's why we get married, because together we're better. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this great company of people, Lord God. We thank you for every person here, Lord God. We, we speak to each soul here and we say, arise, be strong, be great, be who you were called to be. We, we speak to the dormant gifts and graces in every heart and we say, come alive. We speak to the dry bones, those places of discouragement and hopelessness, and we say, come alive in Jesus' name. Lord God, I speak to the leadership graces on every person here, and I say, there is place for you. There is place for you. There is place for you. I speak to every creativity in every heart, and I say, expand, be you, live in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen and amen. So this may come as a surprise to you, but historians tell us that most of Jesus' disciples were women. Did you know that? The majority of people that followed Jesus were women. We hear a lot about the 12 disciples who were all men and who are glorious and incredible and worthy of emulation in every way. But what we don't often hear about is how there was this company of women that followed Jesus. Throughout the Bible, women are spoken of in a way that was completely contrary to the culture of the time. We hear of women who led nations. We hear of women who um, led armies. There's this, this really crazy story of this woman, Jael. You can go and re read about her in the book of Judges and how she, she defeated an enemy army by inviting an a, a enemy commander into a tent covering him with a blanket and hammering a tent peg through his head you know it's just like there were there were some women in the bible you know what i'm talking about i mean there were women who who um the first evangelist first evangelist the first person to tell about jesus resurrection was a woman the bible speaks to and refers to female deacons female apostles in the last chapter of Romans, there is a woman mentioned, Junior, and she is talked, to, talked about by Paul as being foremost amongst the apostles. I know that's going to freak you out a little bit, but it's right there in the Bible. The Bible is just littered from start to finish, or, or should I say decorated from start to finish. <laughs> With glorious, strong women who did stuff. And you know what? It's not only women that did spectacular thing, things. There were also women who just did ordinary things in a great way. They raised their children. They loved people. They cared for people. And many of their names are, are perhaps not recorded. But I'm telling you, in God's eyes, he counts them as great. And I want to say to you, all the women that are here today, that there is a place for you in the kingdom. There's something glorious and strong and vibrant about your life that God wants to call up and call out. That your life matters. That you, 
Your influence in the people around you is profound. And your capacity to create environments where God is glorified is amazing. And whatever you are called to, do it with your whole heart. Allow the Spirit of God to fill you in a way so that you can do it so that people see Jesus in you. Whether you are called to the workplace, whether you're giving yourself full time to your family, whether you're in two worlds at once, whether you're single, married, old, young, big, small, whatever you are, God has a glorious, glorious plan for you. And he has a strength and a might that you are meant to carry as a woman. There's no mistake. You weren't meant to be a man. <laughs> He's so happy that you're a woman. Amen. So I want to tell you a little bit about some great women that I really admire. They all wear funny clothes because they came from a long time back. I don't know. The fashion industry hadn't been invented then. But the reason I chose these women is they all lived in a time when women weren't expected to do anything public, really. And indeed, it was frowned upon. They were very, um, perhaps, not valued in society like men were. And certainly their, their ability to do anything in a way that would influence society was very, very limited. And these women in those very restrictive environments found the grace to do something remarkable. This first woman, her name is Susanna Wesley, and she was the 25th child of 25 children. <laughs> Look, just even surviving that is amazing. Praise the Lord, she got through that. She married a man and herself had 19 children. Okay, let's all just say, God bless her. <laughs> Only nine of them made it to adulthood. So in turn, you can imagine the tragedy of living through the death of 10 children. She was married to a minister, and this minister was not so good at um, handling finances. He was in jail a number of times and away on different trips often. And she determined that what God had given her to do was to be a mother. And she said in herself, I mean, I, I haven't heard this quote in anywhere, but the evidence of her life suggests this, that she said to herself, I'm going to be the best mother possible. And she gave herself to raising her children with her whole heart. The stories go how she determined to spend an hour with each child every day. How she trained them in godliness and righteousness and joy and life and self-discipline and how she educated all of them and gave them a love for learning from a very young age. Sometimes when her husband would go away, they would have a Another preacher come in and take his place, and often that other preacher wasn't very good. And this one story goes how she <laughs> she went to the church service with this new preacher, and it was really bad. And she said, "No, I'm not having my children here." So she decided in the afternoons to have her own church service for her children. And lo and behold, by the time her husband came came back, there were 200 people attending that church service. Two of her sons, Charles and John Wesley became two of the most profound revivalists in history. They began the Wesleyan revival or the Methodist revival in Britain. It spread to America and to Europe. 
It, it's the only revival in history that has been known to carry on multi-generationally. Many generations after that, that same fire and that same life was present. Movements across nations were spawned by this revival. The abolition of slavery is largely credited to the, the life and the gospel that they preached at that time. The reform of the prison systems, the reform of the schools, all came out of this. You know, at that same time, the entire year of Europe was going through bloody revolutions, like the French Revolution and various kind of uprisings in nations. In Britain, they never had that. And most people say instead of having a revolution, they had a revival. And they overturned the oppressive social system. How? By changing the hearts of people. It's mind-blowing. She is known as the mother of that revival. Her sons were the first people to have women preachers because they saw their mom. And no one could tell them that women couldn't preach. No one could tell them that women couldn't lead because they had a mother who'd stood up and done it. You know what? She ministered to nine children, but she changed the world. She changed the world because she said, this is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to do it with all my heart. I don't care who knows. I don't care how famous I become. I'm going to do what God told me to do with my whole heart. There we have another wo woman. Her name is Sojourner Truth. That's not the word name she was born with. She was born as Belle Freebaum. Baum Free, sorry. <laughs> Baum Free. <laughs> and she was born into slavery in the United States. At the age of nine, with a hundred sheep, she was sold to someone for something like a hundred dollars or I can't remember the exact price. In slavery, she she got married and she had five children and she was eventually emancipated, set free. And she left slavery with one of her children, the other four stayed in slavery. But she went to court and she won a court the first time a black person ever won a court case against anyone of any other race for the release of her, her second youngest child into her custody. Shortly after she set free, she found Jesus. And she changed her name. She said, I am leaving absolutely everything behind to the point where I am going to change my name. And she changed her name to Sojourner. How do you say that word? Sojourner, Sojourner, Sojourner. Truth. And she became an itinerant preacher. And she said, you know what? I feel like God has called me to the church. He's called me to be a mouthpiece to a nation from this pulpit and to preach the truth. And she went from place to place preaching and leading people to the Lord. The Smithsonian Institute in the United States two years ago named her as one of the hundred most significant Americans in history. She said this profound thing, I will not allow my life's light to be determined by the darkness around me. Profound, profound, profound. 
Lastly, we have a woman by the name of Florence Nightingale, and she never got married. She came to know the Lord, I, I guess, in like her teenage years and committed herself. She, many of her writings about the absolute love she has for Jesus. And against great opposition and great resistance from her family, she decided to go into nursing. At a time where it was more dangerous to be in a hospital than, was out, than it was to be out in the, the war, on the war fields, on the, what do you call those? Fighting, a war, battlefields, battlefields, thank you. She went across to Europe where a war was being fought and she established hospitals in places where the previous hospitals or places where they treated the sick had a death rate of 42%. And she reduced it to 2%. She said this, guys, I require every person working in these hospitals to wash their hands. <laughs> you know, that seems so simple to us. But they hated her for it. It was like, what? We don't want to wash our hands. She gave her life to the alleviation of suffering, physical suffering in human beings. And she said, God, I'm giving up everything. She purposefully didn't get married because she said, God has called me to this. And I want to give my life to helping people and revealing Jesus Christ through this occupation. She said this, people talk about imitating Christ and imitate him in the little trifling formal things such as washing the feet, saying his prayers and so on. But if anyone attempts the real imitation of him, there are no bounds to the outcry with which the presumption of that person is condemned. So in other words, she said, as I give my life to helping people and imitating Christ by caring for the, the weak and the hurt and the dying, everybody condemns me. But if I stand up and say pious prayers, they say, what a godly woman. And she said, I'm going to imitate Christ in every way. And her commitment to that transformed an entire part of medical history. Seriously, in those days, with a gun in your hand, out on the battlefield, you're more likely to live than if you were in a hospital. And she changed that. I want to share a little bit of my testimony. I grew up in a home of all girls. I only had sisters. It was fun, crazy, and very pretty. Yeah, I did have a dad, so my, my husband's reminding me. So it wasn't all girls. We had a dad, but my dad adored his girls. You know, there wasn't a day that he didn't say, I'm so glad I had girls. He kind of indicated to us that if he had a boy, he would have been disappointed. I'm sure he wouldn't have, but nonetheless, he, he absolutely adored his girls. And then my parents sent me to all girls' schools. So when I got married, it was like a shock. It's like, What? Men are like this. And then I had boys and I had to go to Andrew and say, is this normal? Is this normal? Do boys really do this? But the really 
great thing for me of growing up in this world which was just girls everywhere is that there were no such things as girls' jobs and boys' jobs. They were just jobs. And some of them we did with long teeth, hating every minute of them. We helped my dad change tires, fix radios, put oil in his car, and you know what? We did it, but it wasn't the greatest. We also helped my mom cook and, well, we sometimes helped my mom cook. <laughs> we did more of the eating of the cooking, you know. And we, you know, there, there were just a variety of things and we did them all. We climbed trees, we rode bikes, we uh, dressed dolls, we did it all. And then when I was at school, all the leadership positions I ever saw were filled by women. The class captains, sports captains. The prefects, the head girl, the vice head girl, everyone. So, you know what? I, I thought boys were great. You know, I had, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But there was nothing in my heart that ever said certain things were restricted to me. I didn't have to do them all, but if I wanted to, I could. It was, it was kind of like that kind of world that I grew up in. And my dad told me all the time, you can be anything you want. And then I grew up, <laughs> and I went out into the big wide world, and I, and I found to my greatest surprise, to my greatest surprise, that in mixed environments, the girls dumb themselves down when the guys are around. I know there's silence right now. All you guys are thinking, I thought girls were always like that. I was like, what? All the, all the ladies are smiling at me. They're like, how does she know? <laughs> and I found all these kind of like non-spoken restrictions and boundaries. And I was like, what? I don't even know how to fit in this. And I, I, believe it or not, I'm quite a submissive person. So I was trying to like fit into all of this. And like, ah, oh, how do you do this? And, and I was left with a really great dilemma. Because in order to fulfill what I felt like God was speaking to me, because I felt very strongly God calling me to preach and to lead church. And I realized in order to do that, I was going to have to push down some boundaries. I was going to have to break through some walls. And I was left with this dilemma. I was kind of faced with two paths, so to speak. I could give up the dream that I felt like God had placed in my heart. And I could follow what I felt like society was saying to me. Or, on the other side, I could become this raving feminist, bash down those walls, create a lot of havoc, ruin relationships, but I would get my way. And you know, in my heart, I felt like neither of those were the way. I felt the Spirit of God just speak something to me. Luckily, it's in the Bible. I felt like he said this. Well, he did say it, but I felt like he spoke it personally to me. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him, created them. Genesis 1, verse 27. 
And it suddenly dawned on me that the image of God is not held by just one gender. That if the world is to see God, he's going, they're going to have to see men and women side by side revealing him. I suddenly realized that there is no battle between the sexes. You know, you hear it all over the place. It doesn't exist in the kingdom. Really, it doesn't exist in the kingdom. Every man can be great and who he's called to be. Alongside the woman can be great and who they call to be. And that me being great didn't have to rob another man of being what they were meant to be. That all of us could stand up and reveal who God had made us to be. And it would be glorious and the world would see Jesus and they would say yes. I heard one person prophesy one time that for thousands of years the church has been limping along on one leg. And what is that? Is that the men have been doing all the stuff. <laughs> and the other leg, the female leg. It's got to get down and be in place so that the church can look glorious, the glorious bride it's meant to be. The other scripture that God spoke to me was from Galatians 3 verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you know that there's no such thing as a male spirit or a female spirit? Have you ever thought about that? That we have different bodies. But spiritually, we have the same access to the king, the same access to the kingdom, the same, the same directives. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, he didn't say, men, would you go and make disciples of all nations? And woman, you stay at home and enjoy yourself. I don't know what. Wash the dishes. I don't know. But when we stand before our king at the end of all time, he will look into your heart and he won't say, woman, what, you, what did you do? He will say, my child, what did you do? What did you do with the grace I gave you? That we will all be required to give account of those dreams he put in our hearts. Also, in the Bible, I came across some things that were not so great that I didn't really know what to make of. And being a submissive person, I really wanted to do what was right. I really wanted to obey the Lord. And lo and behold, I found these three scriptures. I just want to say this, that, that, that is a, those three scriptures represent a total of 20 verses in the Bible. In total, there are 31,102 verses in the Bible. That's a very, very, very small proportion of the verses. Many of those other 31,000 verses empower women, create an environment where women are released and allowed to do things and indeed do great things. But these three verses have been a stumbling block for so many. The first one there, oh wait, sorry, first I want to tell you this. When, when I found these verses, I also discovered that there are certain ways of interpreting the Bible that are good and certain ways that are bad. And the three ways that we need to interpret the Bible that are absolutely vital go like this. Context, context, context. <laughs> to be more specific, that we have to look at the original audience for which the verse was meant. We have to look at the original intent of the writer and we have to look at how it fits in with the rest of Scripture because God doesn't ever contradict himself.
My darling, I'm going to ask you to find 1 Timothy 2.12 on there for me. Thank you. No problem. So 1 Corinthians 11 talks about how women must cover their heads when they pray and prophesy. I dismissed that one quite easily. I was able to deal with that one quite easily because I'd been to many churches and no woman covered their heads. So I figured, oh my word, the whole church realizes that in context, women of those days who didn't cover their heads were temple prostitutes or street prostitutes. And that women of class and honor covered their heads as a show of respect. And so that culturally, Paul was saying to these women, to show respect in environment, obey the cultural norms. But if the cultural norms of another time are different, obey those cultural norms. A few chapters later, Paul, in the same letter to the Corinthians, tells women that they must be silent in church. And if they have any questions, they must go home and ask their husbands. Listen, I've asked my husband a lot of questions. And I confess some of them I've asked in church. <laughs> but immediately, I hope you've seen the difficulty we face with here. The first verse tells about women covering their head when they pray or prophesy. I don't know if you've ever tried to pray or prophesy by being silent. It's physically impossible. So in other words, these women were talking in church in a good way. So Paul couldn't have meant they're not allowed to make a word, say a sound. The context of this goes like this, that most of those women in the Corinthian context were coming out of two places, either very subjugated Oh, they were temple prostitutes. So there were two occupations a woman could have in those days. A subjugated homemaker or a temple prostitute. And now they come into an environment where it's free and it's open. They have no idea how to behave. They are sitting in this. And in those days, the women sat on one side and the men sat on the other side in synagogue. So they, they often... Oh, <laughs> So the um, so they the woman and the men were separated. So if the woman came into this environment and she didn't know what was going on, guess what she would do? She would stand up, call to her husband across the other side of the room, and say, "Johnny, Paul, what on earth is the man talking about?" And if ten, twenty women are doing this in the environment, it's chaos. So Paul very rightly says to them, ladies, please, please, can you just be quiet in the service? Would you mind? And please, when you go home, you can ask those questions to your husband. You don't have to shout it across the room. Do you understand what I'm saying? So context makes all the difference. And then we have the last scripture, which is perhaps the most damaging. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Listen, I feel like everyone should learn in quietness and full submission. You know what I'm saying? But maybe they weren't, so they need to be told. And then Paul goes on and he writes this. 
I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, sorry, I need to read the next verse also. He goes on and says this. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Amen. <laughs> but women, listen to this, but women will be saved through child's bearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. All of you haven't had children, so sorry, you don't get it to heaven. You know, this scripture has, has been used to tell women that they can't preach, lead, talk. You know what? This is what, what amazes me at the church is so quick to tell women that they can't lead in church. But those same women are allowed to be CEOs, are allowed to teach in schools. And then what you are saying is God's commandments from the Bible only apply to church. They don't apply to the world out there. And that is can never be. If you take this literally, then women can't do it ever. But that's not true. That when we talk about context and the, re the rest of Scripture, if this Scripture is to be taken literally, then when it says there that a woman will be saved through childbirth, it contradicts the rest of the entire New Testament. And so we have to say this, that this Scripture cannot be used as a defining Scripture for doctrine because it violates at least five other doctrines. So we have to say in context, Paul was saying something very specific. What is interesting in those times is that the pagan religions literally believed that the woman was created first and she was superior to men. And Paul had to tell them, no, this is not true. And rightly so. What is so wild when it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority, Women taught already. Paul commends Priscilla, a woman, for teaching Apollos the right ways of the kingdom. So we know for sure that he didn't mean a blanket thing she may never teach. At the same time, when it says, I do not permit her to have authority, Paul, when he wrote his letters, always used one of two words to mean authority. He used the word dunamis or the word exousia. Every other time the word authority is written in your English Bible, it's one of those two words. It's usually exousia, but sometimes it's dunamis. This time, the only time ever, he uses another word called authentine. Why? Because he didn't mean what he meant when he wrote all those other authority times. So what did he mean? Well, authentine, very interestingly enough, was used in secular writing, not very often. This is the only time it's ever used in the Bible, but every time it was used, it had a vastly different meaning. Ranging from commit suicide to engage in sexual relations. Sometimes it meant authority, but it meant a widely differing lot of things. 
So in essence, we have to say this. We don't know exactly what Paul meant there. But we can say this. He did not mean what we traditionally think of as authority. And seeing as many of the women coming into the church at that time were temple prostitutes, there is a chance that he could have meant, I do not permit a woman to dominate a man in a sexual relationship by having sexual relationships with him. Because that was the common, one of the common meanings of that word. There is a chance that he meant that. And if he meant that, I say amen and amen and amen. But here's the bottom line. So I, I found those verses and guess what? I had to deal with them. And this is how I dealt with them. I hope that helps you. Here are some practical considerations as women and as men and as society. Is that we really do want to empower women. We want women to be released to do everything that God has called them to do. But there certainly are some things that we need to consider. And the first of them is physiology. 1 Peter says that women are the weaker vessel. It's not an insult. It means that I really, really, really need my husband to help me get that lid off the jam jar. I'm not faking it. But that physiologically, women are designed to bear children. And as a result, there had to be some modifications in our makeup. And as a result, we, we are more, uh, we have greater endurance than men. Men, you try have a baby. But we don't have the same muscle mass as men, and therefore we are physically not as strong. No matter how many weights I push, I still need my husband to help me carry some of those bags. And so we have, we have to look at that and we have to honor that. And that means that, that our daughters, our girls, our women need a level of protection from the men around them. And we want to thank you, men, for being strong on our behalves and looking after us and taking care of us. And thank you for driving us when it's dark and late. And thank you for waiting up for us and escorting us and looking after us. We appreciate that because you know what? As women, we need that. And it's okay. Thank you for opening those jam jars, for picking up those boxes. I did have a friend once say to me that if, if women learned how to open jam jars, there would be no more need for men. But I know that's not true. I know, I know that's not true. And then last of all, Ephesians 5 talks about the fact that um, women, that there's an order in the home. That, you know what, if something is going to be successful, you have to have someone in charge. You have to have a leader. And, and God said, well, let the men be the final say in a marriage. And in light of that, someone has got to submit. I know submission is such a tough, 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 tough word. But the original word for submission really is a military term, believe it or not. And it literally means that two equal officers in the army, one of them chooses to rank himself lower than the other one in order to get a job done. Submission, it can only happen in a place where there are two equal partners. And it's a choice as women that we make in the home to say that we, we've got a job to do. And in order to get that job done, this is the most efficient way of doing it. It doesn't make us less or less valuable or less clever or less capable. And the, most, the greatest thing you can do, men, is needing your families is to empower your wives where they're strong. You don't have to do your books if, you, if your, the books if your wife is an accountant. Really? 
you know what I'm saying? It's okay to have a strong wife. And to close, I want, I want to show a video that really impacted me. It's a short video, but it, um, it just talked about some of the ways that society sees women and how sometimes as women we see ourselves and how God wants to set us free. It's actually an advert. Um, yes, yeah, so it doesn't mention Jesus, but just think Jesus the whole time. Is that okay? Here we go. Okay, I'm going to need sound. For some reason, there's no sound. Can the sound people help me? Hi, Erin. Hi. Okay, so I'm going to just give you some actions to do. I just do the first thing that comes to mind. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. <laughs> now throw like a girl. Aww. My name is Dakota and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Throw like a girl. Fight like a girl. What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. So do you think you just insulted your sister? No. I mean, yeah, insulted girls, but not my sister. Is like a girl a good thing? Actually, I don't know what it really, if it's a bad thing or a good thing. It sounds like a bad thing. It sounds like you're trying to humiliate someone. And what advice do you have to young girls who are told they run like a girl, kick like a girl, hit like a girl, swing like a girl? Keep doing it, because it's working. If somebody else says that running like a girl, or kicking like a girl, or shooting like a girl is something that you shouldn't be doing, that's their problem. Because if you're still scoring, and you're still getting to the ball on time, and you're still being first, you're doing it right. It doesn't matter what they say. I mean. Yes, I kick like a girl, and I swim like a girl, and I walk like a girl, and I wake up in the morning like a girl, because I am a girl. And that is not something that I should be ashamed of. So I'm going to do it anyway. That's what they should do. If I asked you to, to run like a girl now, would you do it differently? I would run like myself. Would you like a chance to redo it? Why can't run like a girl also mean win the race? Awesome. Can we pray? Darling, I'm going to ask you to come up and pray for all the women. Would you do that? Was that amazing? You men who heard part of Carol's testimony, you went, oh, Andrew. <laughs> Carol did not know that the toilet seat had an up position, but um, 
I think I think that you will recognize something if you're a part of this church. Is that Carol and I have walked a journey in this. I was raised in a home where women were put down all the time. My father was a male chauvinist of note. When Carol joined our family, she had some heated discussions because he was, what is the word? A misogynist, that's what he was. I just had to use the right word, you know. Oh, oh yes, ask women at home. Please ask your wives after church, not in church, men. <laughs> you know, when the Lord, I, I, you know, I've had a couple of moments where the Lord's really just appeared to me and spoken to me, but one of those was a moment where he said to me, Andrew, part of your ministry is to pave the way for your wife's ministry. And Carol and I have built in a way that a lot of churches disagree with. Carol and I have built in a way where when I hand over the mic to Carol to preach, men have got up and walked out because they don't understand these things. But we want to model something. It was about 25 years ago that we were in a conference where that prophetic word came where I saw the church hobbling on one leg. And the Lord was saying, why is it only that men get to be the main leg of the church and the bride will only be able to run when the women come forth. And I'm going to ask all the women to stand, if you wouldn't mind. I've watched the battles my wife's gone through. Some of you have faced some of those walls. It's not God. God created us to be men and women working together in team, not one dominant over the other. But some of you have faced that spirit. Some of you have faced the lie of the enemy. And God, I have seen time and time again, break walls down for Carol. When she's just chosen to go, I leave it in your hands, Lord. And Father, we thank you that as a father, you love your daughters and your sons the same. You have a destiny for your daughters and your sons the same. And Father, we stand here knowing that you created us for a destiny and a purpose. And you created women for a destiny and a purpose that is no less. And we stand against the lie of the enemy that has perpetuated the ages. That somehow men are better and women are less. That somehow men are to be in charge and women are to just listen. We break that lie in Jesus' name. We destroy it. We command the presence and principles of the kingdom to come and saturate every life, every family represented here in Jesus' name. Father, we speak to every woman here that you would surround them with favor, that if they are up against some of those walls, that right now you would dissolve those walls by the favor that is around them as a shield. And they would not have to fight to kick them down, but that your favor will break those walls down. And Father, we ask for men's mindsets to be changed. I pray for the men in this church, and I pray for every man that these women are in relationship with, work with, work for. And I declare right now a change of mind, a change of way of seeing that if they've been raised in a certain way, you would destroy every lie. Release truth. And we say this, Lord, cause our women to see themselves as you see them and cause our men to see our women as you see them.
feel the Lord saying one other thing, and I know it's a sensitive thing. But the enemy has made women an object of lust. Porn has become such a rife way of life. And right now we destroy that spirit of lust and perversion where women are seen as objects of sex instead of spirits created by you to do great things that we want to see women as you see them. We command men, see women as God sees them, as his daughters. When I look at a woman, I often go, that could be my daughter. And I want my daughter to do everything and anything and be the best. And I don't want her to be an object of men just staring at her body. And we break those lies right now. And we silence them and we say right now, men, you will see women as God sees them. Women, you are set free that wherever you go, it is a lust-free zone. And you will create a place and an environment where God can release His Spirit through you. In Jesus' name. Would you give the Lord a hand? Lord, we bless these women as we celebrate Women's Day. <laughs> Let it not be a day of celebration. Let it be a nation with changed mindsets where women are released to be the greatest that you ever called them to be. Change our marriages, change our homes, change our churches, change the work environment in Jesus' name and bless these women. Men, would you give these women a great big manly hand? Can they go, oh, oh, oh.